That's such a blessing. How many are blessed by that this morning? Amen. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. So thankful to have the Heartland Baptist Bible College Ensemble here. They have a display table, and it's not for free. And uh, you go over there, they'll help you find materials. I hope that you'll buy some godly, good Christian music from the CDs they have there. They make great Christmas gifts, birthday presents you can give to people. And I hope you'll stock that up and get that into your cars, your homes. Just get that music into your home. That would be a blessing there. Joshua 9, if you look around you, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. Probably of all the messages I preach this year, this is one of the more important messages I hope that you'll give your ear to this morning and your heart to the Lord. Joshua chapter 9, if you're there, say amen. Amen. (coughs) Verse 6. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivite, unto the Hivites, Peradventure you dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God, For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan to Sihon, king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, which was at Asherah, which wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, take victuals with you for the journey and go to meet them and say unto them, we are your servants. Therefore, now make ye a league with us. This, our bread, we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. And behold, they be rent. And these are garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with uh, with them, and let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. How many of you have ever made a bad decision that you could reverse, and you regretted making that decision? How many like that? All right, all about just about everybody. As you go through life, you're going to make a bad decision. Some of those decisions, in fact, all those decisions can be averted. But sometimes we rely on faulty facts. Or more importantly, we don't seek the Lord's counsel. And we go through life with the scars of bad decisions. What do you do? What do you do? A bad relationship? A bad circumstance? You follow the wrong opinion. What do you do? This morning I want to preach you a message entitled, Face the Music. Joshua made a bad decision. But we're going to see how God gives us biblical instruction this morning from this ninth chapter on what to do when you make a bad decision. Father, sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And Lord, we know that today as we stand before you, moreover by them is thy servant warned, and the keeping of them there is great reward. Heavenly Father, today the entrance of thy word giveth light, and thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Father, we so need today to hear from God. He that hath an ear, let him hear. I pray this morning that you would cleanse us as a congregation, as visitors here today, from all filthiness, the flesh, and superfluity of naughtiness. And as James would say, that we would receive with the spirit of meekness and teachableness the word of God, which is able to change our lives. Speak to us today, Lord, about what to do. There may be even some right now who've just recently have made a bad decision or some about to make a decision that could be very bad. And I pray this morning that you'd give light and enablement and help us today. We pray for this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. For those of you new to the church, we've been in a series for several weeks off the book of Joshua. Joshua's name means Jehovah's salvation. His name is the Old Testament equivalent of Jesus Christ. Joshua is a captain. Jesus, uh, Joshua is a conqueror. We're coming off of Joshua chapter 6, where Joshua conquered the city of Jericho through faith and dependence upon God. In Joshua chapter 7, we see a setback in Joshua's life. In that setback, we see where he, that someone in the camp stole the accursed thing. They took that which should not belong to them. And the sin caused a setback in the nation of Israel. We see in Joshua 8, reversal from that setback. And we saw last week just some incredible principles about how we can rebound from reversals, how we can rebound from setbacks. And if you'll go back in the chapter 8, notice in verses 34 and 35, as they're recovering, and they're making this recovery, as they're making this rebound, foremost in all of that, the Word of God is made prominent. And Joshua there reads all the Word of God. I want you to understand where we are coming from as we go into Joshua 9. And as we're off Joshua chapter 8, verse 34, it says, And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversing among them. They have gone from an incredible setback, an incredible moment of chasing, to where there's great victory. And this victory is, is manifested through a revival of God's word. They've written all of the word of God on the stones on the altar that was erected there between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And there, right in that place, would be a great testimony that God was on the side of Joshua and God was making victory occur. And the Word of God was being made very prominent and preeminent at that time. And it sent a message out to all the inhabitants of the land, as we'll see in a minute, that there was a new Lord, and there was a new law, and there was something God was doing there. And so because of that, we see that Josh and the people are feeling a sense of relief. They're feeling a sense of encouragement. They've gone from being insecure and not really sure about themselves because of what happened in chapter 7 to now as we enter chapter 9, they're at a place where they're greatly encouraged by God's hand upon their lives. But when we have these seasons of victory, we have these moments where God has just kind of reestablished us and helped us to go on and our footings in confidence, our, our, our footing and our confidence is strengthened and our faith is bolstered. It is during those times we must be very, very careful because again, the wily one, Satan, is looking for another avenue, an opportunity to attack us there. And you'll notice as they come off this, we see in this passage of scripture a series of things that unfold where Joshua is taken off guard. He's caught off guard. He makes a decision without consulting with God. This decision 
decision winds up being a very difficult one that they could not reverse. In fact, they sealed this decision through a covenant. And because of that, the people of Israel, as well as Joshua, wanting once they find out they made a wrong choice, they're feeling like, what do we do? And whenever you've been, been, you've been a victim like Joshua was, because he was a victim of what I call a con job, they were deceived. What we just read, we'll read again. When those Gibeonites came to them, which were also known as Hivites, they were part of the inhabitants of the land. They were Canaanites, descendants from, from Canaan back in, jo- in, in Genesis chapter 10. When they, when they, they came to Joshua, they came in, in, in subterfuge. They came in disguise. And we'll see a series of half-truths and lies that they give to them. And Joshua bought into that. But three days later, Joshua found out that he was conned. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been a victim of a con job, you know what I'm going to say. A con job, when you're a victim of some of that, you've been defrauded. You feel terrible. You feel betrayed. Uh, you can become bitter. You can become very skeptical and cynical. You withdraw from things. You second guess things. And even if you're not very careful, you can fall into despair. I've known people of all walks of life and every stages where they've been conned out of substantial amounts of money and could not reverse it. Or they were conned in making a decision that they know they should have made. Or they were conned into a relationship that they know they should have made. And life, of course, is a series of decisions that we make. And sometimes we think that we have to make instantaneous decisions, quick decisions. And uh, sometimes we look back and we wonder, what could I have done differently? And how can I reverse the situation? And I'm glad to tell you this morning as we read the Word of God and study Joshua chapter 9, it's one of those pivotal chapters that helps give you me instruction on what do you do when you have to face the music. And what do you have to do when you are facing music? What does God give us to do as a precedent? What does God give us to do so we can move on with our life? I want you to see several things that Joshua teaches us from this passage of Scripture. We need to move very quickly this morning, so if you'll take some notes. Number one, would you notice the ruse? In verses 1 to 13, I want you to consider with me the ruse. I want you to notice how Joshua was conned, how he was defrauded, how he was misled, how he was deceived. Notice verse 1 starts off by saying, It came to pass when all the kings which were on this side of Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea, over against Lebanon, the Hittites and the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite, those were all the inhabitants to the land of Canaan. These were groups of people that were on the checklist of, of cities that had, and people that would have to be conquered along the way. They saw what God was doing. And they were, quite honestly, they were scared. They saw and heard about the parting of the Jordan River during the time of harvest when the water overflowed. They heard and saw that the walls of Jericho had fallen. Jericho was five miles away from the Jordan River. They saw what God did there. They saw the defeat of the people of Jericho. They saw and heard about the overwhelming defeat of the people of Ai. And these other nations decided, you know what? We better get together. We better be confederate. And they joined forces together to fight them. These nations made it very clear as we read chapter 9, verse 1. They made very clear, clearly and boisterously that they were summoned together to fight against Israel. Spiritually speaking, in terms of application, they remind me this morning, verse 1, of how Satan approaches us as a roaring lion. As a roaring lion, he makes himself known. Lions roar to let the prey around them know they're in town. They're in the vicinity. They're hungry. They're looking for the weak. They're looking for the defenseless. 
They're looking for the young. They're looking for those who cannot move on very fast. They're looking for those who are easy prey. And sometimes Satan walks about as a roaring lion, seeking who may, he may devour. We see this happening. But notice in verses 2 and 3, we not only see the confederation of nations, but notice in verse 3, actually in verse 3 and 4, excuse me, we see a different group of people. We see a, a, a part of the Hivites who are known as the Gibeonites of the city of Gibeon. They take a different strategy. They take a different approach they're saying you know what we know this is futile we're not even going to try to fight with israel we're not going to try to fight with joshua we've seen what happens what happened with them is not human what happened with them is not natural it's supernatural they said what happened there was not ordinary as extraordinary what happened there was not possible it was impossible it was there was a god that's greater than the gods we worship that was able to do that and so they took up the old adage if you can't beat them Join them, is what they were thinking there. And you'll notice verse 3, it says, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, notice verse 4, They did work wilily, and went, and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles, old bound and rent and bound up, and old shoes clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Now they took a different tactic. They decided that they would come, stealthily they decided they would come subtly they came like satan sometimes comes at us you see satan is a master strategist in terms of how he attacks us sometimes he comes to us as a roaring lion other times he comes as a beguiling serpent the bible says in genesis chapter 3 that the serpent beguiled eve first second corinthians eleven three tells us that eve was beguiled by the serpent he doesn't necessarily have to come as a roaring lion he just slithers his way through the slant he says he camouflages himself with the environment. He looks harmless. He looks colorful. He looks beautiful. And he starts talking to you. And sometimes Satan comes at you and I as a beguiling serpent. He comes to beguile us in our minds. And you know, as we come and we look at this this morning, we realize that, that Joshua had been given a command by Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. It says, But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, uh, say, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. And notice this, the Hivites and the Jebulites, as the Lord thy God has commanded thee. Joshua had been given a command. When you get into that land, you're to systematically go after every one of those nations you say well pastor that was God, God sounds like a very bloodthirsty and hateful God you need to understand these nations knew about God these nations if you would in the from a, from a New Testament perspective they heard the gospel they knew that there was a God that was greater than them Rahab the harlot points it out and then God did that to give them an opportunity to respond but these nations which sacrificed babies and killed babies and put them in the fire and these nations which had fertility coats and number of things like that they were wicked, depraved, perverted, and wicked nations that sought not God. And instead of getting coming to God, they rejected God. Listen, I don't care what you think. The more we preach the gospel, you would think that people would come to God. But the more we preach the gospel, and the more we start churches, and the more we try to win souls, I remind you that Satan kind of notches up his strategy a little bit more. And he comes as a roaring lion, as a beguiling serpent, trying to stop 
the work of God. And I'm telling you this morning is Joshua recognized what he had to do. Satan decided in the bigger picture to come as a beguiling serpent through these Gibeonites to overthrow or if you would to disrupt the mindset of this man by the name of Joshua. When Joshua realized, is caught off guard by these Gibeonites. Now notice the ruse that these Gibeonites use. Notice the ruse because what we're looking at here is not an attack that was boisterous and not an attack that would happen with bows and arrows and spears and swords. We're going to look at an attack that came by way, write this down, that came by way of infiltration into the camp of Israel. Notice, first of all, we see in this ruse the masquerade. In verses 4 and 5, very quickly, they, their appearance that they took upon was ambassadors for a, from a far country. And as these ambassadors, they gave the appearance that they traveled a long distance. And as we'll see later on, they only traveled a three days distance. They were very close by. But they gave the appearance they come, came from a far country as ambassadors. Look what the Bible describes as some of their, their clothing. They had old sacks on their, on their donkeys. They had old garments and old shoes. They got bread that was dry and moldy. They had wine bottles that were cracked and parched and old and weather and cracked. And uh, they just said, you know, we're going to come looking like we've been on a far, far journey. They did a very good job of masquerading who they are. I want to tell you this morning, people who try to defraud you portray themselves as something they are not. They try to portray themselves as experts where they really are not. They try to portray themselves as being preachers of the gospel. When in effect, they, they are not preachers of the gospel. They're what Jude calls uh, men who have crept in unawares. They are they, Satan does the same thing. He comes as an angel of light. He has his own messengers, his false messengers that he uses to deceive people. And I remind you today, they come in three-piece suits. And they come dressed like a Sunday morning crowd. And they may use a King James Version Bible. And they may sound like they use the same language. But I remind you this morning, we must be very careful. Are they, are they giving the word of God or are they giving an uncertain sound from a different trumpet? And I remind you this morning, these people came in a masquerade. They had no intention of portraying what they really are, really were, that they were Hivites and people that were on the checklist of nations that had to be destroyed. We see them in their masquerade. But notice in verses 6 to 13, we see them in their message. And in this message, as we read it a little bit earlier, here's what they said. They said they came from a far country. That was a lie. They said they heard about the exodus from Egypt and the conquest of Sihon and Og in the wilderness. Now that was a half-truth. And they did not indicate that they knew about Jericho and Ai. And that was, they were being deceptive. They knew about Jericho. They knew about Ai. But they covered that up. And part of their fraudulent process, they didn't want to know about that. And if they had told that, they would have been killed right there on the spot. There was a half-truth that they gave there. Then they said, their journey resulted in their food becoming moldy and their clothes getting worn out. That was a lie. Their message was filled with half-truths and lies. Brother and sister in Christ, let me warn you this morning. Come to church. Get under the preaching of the Word of God. Come as we do by expository preaching of God's word as we go line upon line and precept upon precept and realize today it's not enough to just be in church one hour a week and one service a week and just hear one message. You've got to learn to get the word of God into your heart so that you can rightly divide the word of truth and understand truth from error. We're not to, we're not to believe every spirit, but try the spirits whether they're of God, First John 4, 1. And I'm saying this morning, we have to realize there are many false teachers which are gone into the world and they're called the Antichrist and they're called false false teachers and deceivers and apostates, if you would. And I remind you today, not every preacher that's on the radio and every preacher that's on the television and every preacher on the Internet is preaching the truth of God's Word. I'm saying this morning, you need to be under God's Word enough that you can rightly divide the Word of truth and know truth from error. And you'll notice right here as we read over in Joshua chapter 9, 
The Gibeonites were using the same tactics that false teachers of today use. They were using half lies and they were using uh, the uh, half truths and lies to get their way. They were, they, their goal was to make an infiltration. Then they made it, they did. Notice in verse 15, Joshua made a peace with them and let them come in. He made a league with them. I'm telling you this morning, we see the ruse that was happening. And just as soon as this church service is over, you be careful when you go outside and you be careful when you pick up a, a journal and somebody tells you, Jesus Christ, we've set the date for His second coming. And you be very careful if they tell you we've got a message from God. Or they, you be very careful if they tell you they've got illumination from God. I'm saying this morning, we must be very careful of the ruse of Satan. Notice, secondly, in verses 14 to 15, the Gibeonites came as a ruse. But notice, secondly, notice the ratification that occurred. As we read verse 615, it's a little troublesome. In verse 15, Joshua believed them. In verse 15, the Bible says Josh accepted what they did, what they said has been gospel. And the Bible says he made peace with them and made a league with them and he let them live. And the princes of the congregation swore unto them. Now I want you to see some things about this ratification that would be very, very detrimental to Joshua today. First of all, there was a logical conclusion. Look at verse 14. And the men took their victuals. What that is saying there is that Joshua and the elders of Israel and the men that had some wisdom there, they looked at these old clothing. They looked at the dry and moldy bread and they listened to their message and they said well there must be some credibility about this now bear in mind they just read all of the word of God they read God's word and God's word was written all over the the stones and that was in that altar and God's word had been prominent there in that valley between Mount Gebel and Mount Ebel and Mount Gerizim and nobody thought about well should we just take a moment to ask God what he thinks and they did what a lot of us do please listen to me this morning brother and sister Christ they did what a lot of us do we make conclusions and decisions based upon logic rather than upon the Lord and here's what they said it makes sense to me what they're saying sounds sensible and what they're saying sounds like it's okay and it says if it, and they made the decision like many people say maybe you may just say well it feels good and if it feels good then I'll go with the decision and they say well I don't have have any I don't have any heebie-jeebies about these people and I they don't give any bad vibes so I think I think it's okay there but their logical conclusion was based upon logic and their logical conclusion was based upon their feelings and their senses may I remind you this morning when you come to church when you face a hard decision when you face the decision of who I'm going to marry and where I'm going to go to school and what kind of career I should take on and what I'm supposed to do with my life and what do I do when I retire may I remind you today it's not about what makes sense it's not about what the trends are of the day it's not about what's logical it's not about how good I feel about it. What's really important today about those kind of things when we come to those decisions is what does God's word say about the matter? What does thus say at the Lord about that matter? And they use a logical conclusion. But notice, secondly, in verse 14, we see, we see the lack of counsel. The Bible says in verse 14, And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Now when I read that, just stopping there, that's a message all to themselves. You see, the average Christian today doesn't think much about asking God for counsel. We're just a little bit too educated and really just a little bit too uh we're a little bit too well informed and we're men of the world and women of the world and you don't understand pastor fong that i'm a ceo you don't understand pastor that i'm a md and you don't understand pastor i'm a phd and i've head up committees and i i, 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 I rank over people over the hundreds and over the thousands. you understand i make major decisions every day yes i understand all that we make major decisions today but remind this morning without the lord's counsel we're in big trouble brother sister in christ You know, many decisions that are made are hurried decisions. Bad decisions are horrific decisions. Good decisions are happy decisions. 
And God took 40 years. Listen to me this morning. God took 40 years to get Joshua ready for this moment. And back in Numbers 27, if you look in your notes or turn to the scriptures this morning, Numbers 27 is God was preparing them that last year. They're in the 40th year. They're in the wilderness. They're in that 40th year. And God was telling Moses, I want you to step up what you've got to tell this man because Joshua's going to take the reins. And I, I want you to know that Joshua has my approval and Joshua's going to lead the way. And he said, but I've got to give you some instructions. You'll notice Numbers 27, verses 18 to 21. The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him, and send him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. Now this was public now. They had a, This was like a preaching meeting. It was a public proclamation that the approval of God was on Joshua. And as the, as the approval of God was on Joshua, there were some instructions he was given as a leader. And notice verse 20, he said, and thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of children may be obedient. What he was saying there is, listen, Moses, now listen, they don't, they, they, they trust you. They haven't really fully trusted Joshua. And I want you to validate him before the congregation. And I want you to give approval before the congregation that I trust him and that you trust him and that you know that the spirit of God is upon him. And then in verse 20, 21, notice verse 21, this was given as instruction to Joshua. And he shall stand before Eliezer, the priest. Notice this, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgments of the Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and the children of Israel with them, even all the congregation. You listen to me this morning. God was telling Moses, you tell Joshua. When you go into that land with Eliezer, the priest, as your guide, your spiritual counsel, you remind him, you need to go to the Urim, you need to go to the Lord and get your counsel from him. You're going to face some hard choices and some decisions. You've never been down that road before. And kind of like the Bible says, hitherto you've not been down this way before. And you're going to face some decisions you've never faced before and challenges you've never had before. And he says it's important as you hit those different crossroads that you go to the Lord and ask God for His wisdom, for His discernment, for his ideas on these matters. Brothers and sisters in Christ, would you listen to me today? Seeking God's counsel on all matters is glorifying to God. All counsel, biblical counsel, is rooted and undergirded by God's word. We must be very careful to follow the exhortation, the command that's given in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. All Christians should get God's counsel on all matters of life. We need to seek God's counsel for our safety and for our success and for our well-being. We need to seek God's counsel for His blessing and His approval. Listen to me tonight, this morning. Counsel should be sought regarding God's will for your life. All you young people here today, and those of you who are single, and those of you who just got to work your heart, you ought to go to that table this morning where Heartless Baptist Bible College has display. At a minimum, you should ask for a card to inquire about Bible college. If you're not sure what you're supposed to do, give yourself one year into Bible college where you're under the preaching of God's Word daily through chapel, and you're under the instruction and tutelage of great men of God who are standing at those, those lecterns teaching the Word of God, the doctrines of God's Word, and trying to work in your thoughts, and to be under the influence of preachers and missionaries to enlarge your eyes, enlarge your vision of what God can do, and to find out what God wants you to do. We need to be under God's the right counsel for God's will for service in life. You need counsel for courtship and marriage. You need counsel for marriage conflict. You need counsel even regarding your friendships, believe it or not. You need counsel concerning your money. Well, I know how to invest my money. Not better than God. You say, 
well, I, I do. Well, no, no, you need to seek God on that. We need counsel regarding business ventures and association. We need, we need counsel regarding relocation. I'm telling you this morning, every facet of life, we need counseling. Psalms 33, verse 11. The counsels of the Lord standeth forever, and the thoughts of His heart to all generations. Guess what that's telling me? God's advice never grows old. Amen? God's advice is still good today as it was back in the beginning. Psalm, Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Psalms, not Proverbs 19, 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of your heart, you're going through turmoil right now because you're not sure what, what decision to make? You're not sure what you're supposed to do? There are many devices in a man's heart. Well, you know, my counselor said this, or this person said this, and the talk show host said this, and the TV preacher said this, and then, then, then there's Pastor Fong. I, he did, he, I think he said this. We're wondering, what, what would he follow? There's so many voices. But the Bible says, there are many devices in man's heart. Notice, but nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Now go back to verse 14. There's a lack of counsel. They ask not counsel of the Lord. Every church service is designed... So when invitation is made, at a minimum, we would come with a teachable heart and a humble spirit and say, Lord, thank you for what you gave me today. And Lord, help me to be a good steward of the counsel I received today. And Lord, what am I supposed to get from what was given today? I don't quite understand it, but I want to get counsel from you about these matters. We see... These people here, we see the logical conclusion. They made a conclusion based upon what they heard. And they, there was a lack of counsel. They didn't ask counsel of the Lord what to do. But notice there's a lasting contract. Notice in verse 15, they make a covenant with them. Joshua accepted all the risks that were associated with this. He made peace with them. He made peace when Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 17 says... You need to take out systematically all these nations. He made peace with them. And he made a league with them. And he let them live. And notice this, the princes of the congregation, they ratified it. I mean, because Joshua said, let's go, they said, let's go. You have to understand something. There was a five-step process whenever a ratification like this was done, whenever a covenant was happening. There would be, first of all, a verbal assertion of the truth. Both parties would give verbal assertion that they, they agreed to what they were going to do. And then they would, they would acknowledge the presence of God at that event. They would say, well, listen, we're making this covenant with each other, so we need to solemnly acknowledge that God is our witness in this event. And then thirdly, they would do this. At an invocation prayer to God would testify what was said. And most likely, Joshua and the elders of Israel, they said, well, Lord, we, we, now we've verbally, we've verbally agreed on this, and we, we've said that, God, you are our witness here. And they would pray and say, well, God, in the witness of all these people here, we're making this ratification. And then the parties would call upon God to avenge the lie if something was falsely spoken. So in other words, they said, Lord, if, if the one who's making this pledge, which was, which was Joshua, the one making this pledge, they back out. 
and they break the contract, they break the covenant, then they are guilty of law, of death because they lie. They said they would fulfill their, their, their agreement. You see, the, the Gibeonites had the intention. They said, we will come to be your servants, but let us be, in, let us be assimilated into your, into your congregation. We want to be a part of you, but be sure of one thing, which we ratify this. If you break that covenant, if you break that covenant with us, you have to die. You have to pay for it. And so Joshua knew there was a lot of risk because if something went wrong, he would have to stand for that. He would have to die for that. And so they made this ratification. And then the confirmation was finalized by seven sacrifices. And we would sometimes call this the cutting of the covenant, where there would be sacrifices on two sides. And these seven sacrifices would be animals who would be cut in half. And both parties would walk between these animals as, as the ratification that they made this. And when they did that, that was like signing it with blood on the contract that they had ratified this thing. We see a lasting contract. When Joshua agreed to this, he made a decision he couldn't back out of. So we see the ruse, we see the ratification, the Gibeonites' ruse worked. They got Joshua to sign, buy off on the fact that they were going to be included with the congregation of Israel, and Israel would protect them. Notice the realization, verses 16 to 18. Verse 16, at the end of... Three days after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors, and they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came into their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and uh, Kirifath and Beeroth and Kirjath-Jerim. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. But you notice a couple of things that happened here. First of all, they're, they're, they, the, the Gibeonites are now included. This, 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 uh, the, these ambassadors that came, they're included with Israel. And as they did so, the, the Gibeonites, though they didn't show on their face, there's a sense of relief in their souls because they said they bought into us. They did exactly what we wanted them to do. Now they can't hurt us. They made a ratification and there was a cutting of the covenant and there was prayer unto God. And we made these verbal affirmations. They said they're not going to break it. They're men of their word. They're not going to break that. And so as they made their journey, word got, about, got back to the elders as they sent their spies ahead. They word got back, hey, we think we've been duped here, Joshua. Hey, we think we've been conned. Hey, these guys, these are Gibeonites. Their cities are three days away from here. They're just a few miles away. And they found all the cities of these Gibeonites or Hivites. And they came back. And the Bible says as they found it out, they were aghast. They were startled. They were taken aback that, that they had agreed to these things. And the Bible says that because of that, in verse 18, the children of Israel smote them not because of the princes of the congregation sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And we read in verse 18, when all of this came about, it's like that bad news that spreads everywhere. The bad news spread among the three million people of the children of Israel. And the Bible says that the leaders really didn't know what to do because now they're realizing, man, God gave us a command in Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're supposed to kill these people. We're to take them out because they're the enemies of the Lord. They refuse to repent. But we've accepted them into our congregation. We bought their lives and their half-truths. And we promised that we'd protect them and they would be our servants. And the people are realizing the people have not been party to all the things that have happened. They just know the Gibeonites are part of this and they're thinking, what are we doing? We just faced a disaster at Ai just a few days ago and they said we took someone took of the cursed thing and he had to be chastened and in the mind of the congregation they're thinking man well we're going we're going backwards again this is all messed up and notice in verse 18 the bible says that the congregation murmured against the princes so what does this mean what do you do what do you do when you make a bad financial decision you made a decision 
And you've lost money. You can't turn it around. What do you do if you're, you made a bad relationship decision and you're so far in that relationship, you, you're just, you can't turn around. What do you do if you made a bad career decision and you're so far into this, you're not sure what to do and how to go on? What do you do if you made a ministry decision, ministry people, and you wonder, what do I do here? You, I, I made a bad decision and I didn't get the pastor's counsel to see what to do. And you made a bad decision. Look what happens here. When we make a bad decision, we look at this passage of scripture. Listen, when you make a bad decision, you've got to face the music. You've got to accept the fact that you are bound by the decision. There are things that you cannot change in the flesh, which you already did. We have to realize we have to, we're bound by it. We need to face that music in our lives there. Notice verse 19, what the princes said. All the princes said unto the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This will we do to them, and we will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. If you've made a bad financial decision, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. But you need to move on. And be honest and have integrity and do what's right. and Be thankful it's not worse and keep living. And I'll use a class example. Years ago, I preached a chapel service for a Bible college many years ago. They asked the president of the college, asked me to just kind of talk to, talk to the students about finances. And, you know, these are young Bible college students, really didn't know much about it. I took about 10 minutes. I was talking about debt and the problems with debt, going into debt, especially credit card debt. And uh, they allowed a space of time for about 30 minutes after I, I preached at chapel for students to come see me. And the line was long. I'm telling you from right here where the, the, the music stand is all the way to where Brother Sherman's at in the sound booth. There was a line of students that wanted to see me. Every one of them had questions and concerns and burdens because every one of them was in credit card debt of an immense nature. And one of the young men that came to me was in credit card debt of 30-something thousand. If my memory serves right, I think it was $32,000 of credit card debt. He said, Pastor Fogg, he said, I want to know. He said, I've got all this credit card debt and I wake up every morning and go to bed at night. What am I going to do? And I said, well, you know, you've got yourself an inescapable problem. You're just, you're just adding debt to debt to debt. He says, there's something I can do. And he said, well, is there something? I heard I can go, I can file bankruptcy and I could do these things. And he said, what do you recommend I do? And this is what I told him. I said, you need to face the music. You need to go to those creditors and tell them that you overextended yourself and that you realize you're over your head and you need to work out a payment plan with them. And I said, the honest thing for you to do and the Christian thing for you to do and the godly thing for you, it's easy to file bankruptcy, but then you, you're using the law to your advantage. The, the best thing for you to do is face the music and you need to pay off that debt and show you're an honorable person, a man that's got character. You incurred that debt, you pay it off. Sometimes facing music is going to be painful, but when we face the music, we've got to, we've got to honor the decisions that we've made along the way. If you made a bad career decision, realize this now. Fulfill whatever commitments you've made and pray for God to show you what to do next. If you took on a job at a location where you realize it's an atmosphere and a place where you should not be, it's leading you into temptation, it's leading down a wrong pathway, realize that, bite the bullet and say, you know what, I'd rather take less, I'd rather take a step down and be at a place where I'm honoring God with my testimony in life and I'm not being watered down and moved in the wrong direction. If you've made a bad ministry decision, some people do, where they think they're called to the ministry and then later on they think they're uncalled let me say this this morning god never calls a man who calls in the ministry 
I think I'm serving under the wrong pastor. I think I'm serving under the wrong place. No, I don't think that's the problem. I think the issue you need to look at today is you need to fulfill your obligation. Ask yourself, did your spirit change? Did you lose the servant's heart? Maybe it's in need of getting a revival of a servant's heart. If, you, if you're caught in a bad relationship, some people get in that. What do you do if you have a bad relationship decision you've made? And I want to say this morning to the congregation, there are some folks that wake up every morning and go to bed at night suffering because of a bad relationship. What do you do? I want to encourage you to have a spirit of meekness towards the other person. Let time heal the wounds. And don't let bitterness and retaliation be your motivation for going on in life. And ask God to do healing where you cannot do healing. I'm saying this morning, we realize today that we have made some bad decisions. I'm telling you, the worst decision you can make this morning is to not receive God's Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. They're bad decisions people make. And Joshua was one of them. Here is a man of God who was given instruction what to do. He did not ask counsel of the Lord. And he went off and he made a bad decision. It affected him and the entire congregation. We see the ruse. We see the ratification. We see the realization. Would you notice the requirement? Quickly. Everybody in the congregation, as we read from verses 18 and on, were upset. They were duped and tied to a contract they could not break. So in the rest of the chapter, Joshua confronts the Gibeonites about their ruse, about their treachery, about their deceitfulness. And the Gibeonites came clean to them. Notice in verse, verse 24, they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you, and we have done the same. And now behold, we are in thy hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee, so to do unto us, so do. Now watch what happens. They come clean to him. Joshua confronts it, and that, when you have a bad decision, confront the bad decision. Realize you've got to accept the repercussions with that. And realize here, Joshua, he goes to them and he confronts them about it, and they did the right thing. They said, we messed up. Because we were afraid. We were afraid. We didn't want you to know. We want you to know we knew everything. We knew what happened at, we knew what happened there at the Jordan River. We knew what happened at Jericho. We knew what happened at Ai. And we didn't want that to happen to us. That's why we've come. And they came basically to make themselves servants of these people there. And they said, so they came to them. And notice they said in, in verse 24, they said, it, it would be, behold, it was certainly told thy servants how the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses. And they said, we've done this thing. And then they said in verse 25, and now behold, we are in thy hand as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us so do. So what does Joshua do? They give themselves. They say, well, we'll be your servants. We'll be your servants. We will serve you. We, we, we will keep our... You've kept your end of the agreement, but we're, we definitely were intended to keep ours. We, will, we want to be your servants. And notice verse 25, uh, verse 26. And so did he unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and draws of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even to this day and the day which he should choose. Would you notice what happened? Please don't miss us. We're almost done. When you make a bad decision that you can't reverse, please listen. When you make a bad decision you can't reverse, what do you do? What do you do about that? Do you live 
Do you live with remorse? Do you live in regression? Do you go, go back into corners somewhere and hide yourself and become withdrawn and a hermit from the rest of society? What do you do when you make a bad decision? Here's what you do. Watch what Joshua did. They came to Joshua, dealt, Joshua dealt with them. You know what Joshua did? Instead of him being their servant, he made them his servant. Here's where, here's the thought you want to get the requirement. When you make a bad decision, you can't reverse. Make the bad decision a servant to you and don't you become a servant to it. You make that bad decision a slave or servant to who you are. You don't let the bad decision drive you into a place. Many people make a bad decision. They live the rest of their lives in regret and remorse. And they withdraw from the service of the Lord. They stop worshiping God. They withdraw from the fellowship of the Lord. I say this morning, you can't reverse it. But you can be honest about it. And you can face the music. And you can do like Joshua. Joshua takes these people. He says, okay, you're going to be our servants. And you're going to be, you're going to be cutters of wood and drawers of water. And you're going to do this for the altar and the congregation of the Lord. Here's what he said. We're going to accept you into our midst. And we're going to accept you into our fellowship. But you're not going to be at my elevation. And you're not going to be at the level of the elders. What we're going to do, we're going to put you at the starting point of the congregation. And what he did for them, if you notice verse 27, he appointed them to be servants and helpers in the work of God. They were to help the congregation and the preparation of the altar for the offering of sacrifices and service of God. Listen, he included them in the worship of God. They would become cutters of wood because they would need wood to burn the sacrifices and they would need water for the for the water offerings and things of that nature he brought them out to be part of the service and the worship of god and watch this you fast forward and we don't have time to look at this you fast forward a little bit later these same gibeonites first chronicles 9 2 these same gibeonites will later on be reclassified as a different group of people they would be called the nethanims and in first chronicles 9 2 now the first inhabitants that dwelt in their possessions their cities were the israelites the priests the levites and the nethanims now we get to Joshua 9, there's only two categories of service in the work of God. There are the Levites and there are the priests. They were overseen by the high priest. There were the Levites and the priests. Now a third category is added. And they were at the low level. These were the people called the Nethanims later on. These Nethanims would figure prominently in the history of all of Israel in terms of the worship of God because Joshua accepted them and he made them servants to to the situation. And they served God by being, if you would, cutters of wood and drawers of water. They were involved in the baseline of service. They got thoroughly involved and immerse into the work of God. And here's what Joshua said. Listen, we can live with this and we're going to live with this. But here's what's going to happen. We are not going to be servants to you. You're going to be servants to us. And here's what I'm saying to you. You say, Pastor, how do I make a bad decision turn around? You give it to God and become a victor over that bad decision. Let it become a servant to you. You don't let it become a, you don't become a servant to it. G. Campbell Morgan said this. A false step taken by a Christian can be forgiven by God. But you must live with the consequences for the rest of your life. They couldn't change their decision. But Joshua made this situation where they became servants to the nation of Israel. And it became a blessing to all of Israel. Because you study your Bible. The Nethanims come up later on. They're critical points of service and involvement for the nation of Israel. You made a bad decision. Bring it subject to the obedience of Jesus Christ. All over this room are people who've made bad decisions and bad choices. You're living with the scars of those things. And sometimes we think the way out is by running from this, running from that, leaving church, leaving our homes, Leaving our parents, leaving our marriages, 
telling pastor goodbye, all these kind of things. That's not the escape. You're getting face to music. And you accept the responsibility. Realize that that bad decision we made, we can still go on. Hey, the prodigal son made a bad decision when he said, Dad, I'd rather you're dead. Give me my inheritance. But you know what? When he hit rock bottom, he faced the music. He came back. He accepted the responsibility. He said, I'm even willing to be lower than the servants of my father. He had a good attitude about it. And God took him. His father took him and blessed him and encouraged him. Can I tell you something this morning? Don't be so proud. Don't be so proud and so conceited. That you think your bad decisions gives you the right to walk away from church, walk away from your parents, walk away from your marriage, and most importantly, walk away from God. You don't let those bad decisions make you the servant to it. You make the bad decision a servant to you and to God. As we close this morning, I want you to notice some closing reflections. Let me give you some key thoughts about this passage of Scripture because we're dealing with facing the music. May I give you some closing thoughts? Do you write these down? Number one, always be vigilant against the attacks of Satan. Always be vigilant against the attacks of Satan. Sometimes he comes as a roaring lion. Other times he comes as a beguiling serpent. Can you tell the difference? Number two, always seek God's counsel and wisdom for all matters of your life. By the way, how many believe this morning God is wiser than you and me? Amen? Kind of, you know, I'm thankful we're just... If you're a visitor this morning, thank you for being here today. But I'm amazed sometimes visitors who come to our church, and I'll admit I'm a, I'm I'm quite biased. I think we have a great church. Amen. You know, I feel like we got a great church. Amen. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, you made a good decision, even if you think you made a bad decision. Okay. And they'll tell me, "Well, I'm chopping churches." I said, "What are you looking for?" And 99% of the time, I've asked my wife, they don't know what they're looking for. They're looking for Betty Bebop, you know. <laughs> and I want to tell you this morning, you come to a church where there's vision and a church where the gospel is preached and people are getting saved and Jesus Christ is being lifted up and you're learning something about how to deal with bad decisions. I think that's the kind of church I'd want to be a part of. Seek God's counsel. By the way, God's counsel is not against you. God's counsel is for you. Amen? Number three, be careful making hasty decisions when you don't have confirmed facts in place or the information has not been vetted properly. Number four, face the music if you made a bad decision. Don't violate your integrity or do wrong to make a right. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, it's never right to do wrong in order to try to do right. Number five, let the bad decision be in submission to you and not you in submission to the bad decision. And I put in my notes, I don't know if it's in your notes, look at Acts 27. Paul is on the Mediterranean Sea. He told them, sirs, you should not go in the waters. It's, 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 it's fall. It's not good. They didn't listen to him. And after they lost everything, thousands of dollars of cargo, the ship was ruined. They were off target. They would not make it to Rome. Paul, at that right time, as the angel of God came alongside, encouraged him because he was rejected. Paul was rejected by that group. Paul said, you should have listened to me. However, 
God spared every life on that ship. And they made their way to Malta, which is called Melito. And we know the rest of the story. It's a great conclusion to what happened. You know what happened there? Paul waited it out. They let the bad decision, which ruined the ship. They had to deal with the ruin of the ship and the loss of cargo. They let that become a servant to them and not them a servant to those bad consequences. Then finally, would you notice one last thing about the Gibeonites today? The focus was Josh and the Gibeonites. Now watch this this morning. We're done. The Gibeonites were people that were under the condemnation of God. Judgment was already upon them. God told Joshua, these people need to be condemned. They need to be taken out just like all the other ones, the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and everybody else. They are under condemnation. And they know that. And these Gibeonites, they come to Joshua and the course of things, though they were a little bit, they were somewhat, they were, they tried to give a con job. They were found out and they were deserving of justice. They deserved to be, to be, to be taken out. They conned him. They deserve justice because they did wrong. They duped him. You know what they came? They asked for mercy. And you know what's amazing? They were people that were condemned. They were under the sentence of condemnation and they were the recipients of mercy. Joshua extended mercy to them. And as they came, they came with contriteness of heart they knew they were wrong they made confession what was going on and they by faith said we're not sure how this is going to unfold but we belong to you we saw them in the scripture we 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 give ourselves you by faith and they said we submit ourselves to you do with us whatever it seemeth good in your sight and they were included into the family of the israelites they were included if you would they were delivered from justice they were delivered from condemnation they came under the the same favor as the rest of the israelites they also were included in the service of the work of god you know what that tells me this morning as we close today that tells you today what a beautiful picture of God's wonderful grace and salvation that all sinners are under the condemnation of God who deserve to be punished and condemned and perish because of our sins because the Bible says for the wages of sin is death but isn't, isn't it wonderful God is rich in his mercy isn't it wonderful in spite of the fact we should be condemned and sent to hell because of our sins Jesus saves us from our sin God who's rich in his mercy towards us God in his mercy extends mercy to every sinner to receive Jesus Christ Christ the Savior. They came by faith, not knowing what to expect, but by faith, they were included to the family of the Israelites. They were spared from condemnation. They became, they became part of that family. They had, were spared. They were no longer to condemnation. They were given the same privileges as the Israelites and come to boot with all that. They got to serve God in the, ta- the, the tabernacle service of God and went on to become prominent as Nathanim. You know what? That's a wonderful picture for me because if you're not saved this morning, you're under the sentence of condemnation and God wants to save you and God wants you to be part of his family and God wants you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and God wants you to have forgiveness of sins and have your sins washed away and heaven, your name is in God's book of life and heaven's your home and that you can know that you're going to heaven you're eternally secure because the Bible says as to as many as received and to them gave you power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name and I'm saying to you this morning if you're not sure you're saved if you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven you can be saved today and you can receive God's mercy and your sins can be washed washed away and you can become part of God's family and heaven can be your home today. And all I have to say this morning, all's well that ends well. If you made a bad decision, face the music, but in humility, don't be a servant to that bad decision. Let the bad decision be a servant to you. You're not 100% sure you're saved. I'm going to tell you this morning, the bad decision would be to not receive Jesus Christ as your Savior.
to reject him, to say, I don't need him. I can depend on myself. No, you accept the Lord today. And we'll give you opportunity where you can call on the name of the Lord to save you today. And then today, Christian, our lives are made up of series of decisions. If you recently got saved, your next decision is to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. If you're not connected with his local church, listen, the Gibeonites got included. You get included. Join the church. You're saved and you've been baptized in a Baptist church like this. You ought to join the church. Whatever it may be today, we ought to just come humbly before God like Joshua and like the Gibeonites did with each other. We need to come humbly before God and realize, listen, we've we got to face the music. We're going to do right. And we know that all's well that ends well if we do what God wants to do. Don't delay. Don't say it's another, another message. Listen, you're, this, is, this message is counsel to us today to avoid making bad decisions. In a moment, we give the invitation. We invite you to come. We invite you to come with someone else. We invite you to open your heart and call on Jesus to save you. When we call upon you to do that today, when we give you the opportunity, you do it and let God work in your heart. Now, Father, bless this morning the scriptures, what has been preached, what has been said, the counsel from God's word, what to do with bad decisions. Help us today to follow you and trust you for our lives. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many Christians here today, you know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. How many of you say today, God spoke to me today. God put on my mind a decision I was about to make or a bad decision I made. And I realized today I need to face the music. Pastor, pray for me. I need to face the music of some bad decisions. Would you pray for me that God would give me strength and faith? You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I've got some bad decisions I made. Put your hands up. How many of you feel like today you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I was on the verge of making some choices, and I realized today I need godly counsel. Pray for me. I need to get God's counsel for my life. How many of you like that? Then how many would say today, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? You'd raise your hand and say, I'm not sure I'm saved today, but I want to know for sure. It's a bad decision not to get saved. Pray for me this morning. I want to know for sure how to be sure I'm going to heaven. You're not sure, but you want to know for sure. We want to help you this morning. Brother and sister in Christ, someone next to you is not sure they're saved. Would you be their friend and help introduce them to our Savior? Husbands and wives, families. God is here for us so we make the right choices and right decisions. The counsel of the Lord endureth forever. Don't put it off. Make a motion for the Lord. Have your way this morning. Holy Spirit, you've spoken. Sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth. I pray this morning that God, you'd help us to do right, not be in a series of bad decisions in our life, but good decisions that will please and honor you. Now, Father, I give this invitation, decisions we need to make, choices we need to make. Lord, decisions to take a stand with Jesus. Help us to do that now, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand. If you need to come this morning, as people are standing, you come. Can I encourage you about one decision? Why don't you decide to stand with Jesus this morning? Did you do that this morning? Would you, stand, would you decide to stand with Jesus? You have a decision God needs you to make. Would you make it right now? Isn't it time to draw near to God? Is it time today to say, count me in? Don't you think it's time today to say, Lord, I want to make the right decisions? Lord, listen, the Bible says steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighted in his way. We make so many choices and decisions that are not good decisions. God wants us to make good choices. The counsel of the Lord endureth forever. Would you make a decision today? I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to get godly counsel for my life, about my future, about my finances, about my family. Would you trust God in all that this morning?
said, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm living with the scars of bad decisions. I do understand. It's time to face the music. It's time to take that bad decision, put it at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I wanted to be servant to you, not me servant to it. Stop suffering and languishing that way. It's time to make right decisions. Young people, right decisions about school. Unmarried people, right decisions about getting married. Your future. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? The Bible says we should spend the rest of our time to the will of God. How are you spending the rest of your time? Let's live for God. Father in heaven, as we pray around the room, please have your holy, sovereign way in hearts. Thank you today. The scriptures have spoken. Thank you, Lord, that we have a classic, wonderful, consecrated example through the man of Joshua and what they did in the series of bad decisions. Thank you that though the Nethanims were deceitful, Lord, in the end, these people were accepted and they made right. And Lord, they became servants that you that God you would use. And God, we thank you that all things can work together for good to them that love God, to them were the called according to his purpose. Father, I pray for a series of things you'll do that will glorify you in our lives. Help us today in our innermost secret parts of our heart. We realize there are decisions and choices that need to be made. Help us to do what's right. We'll thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.